0: Welcome to today's episode of the Design Leadership Podcast, where we will be speaking with Justin Dower. Justin is a prolific designer, author, and speaker on user experience, design, culture, and leadership. He is the former vice president of human-centered design and development at B-Swift, a CVS healthcare company. Justin is also the author of the book, Cultivating a Creative Culture, as well as his host of his own podcast on creative culture. Hello, Justin. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Jay. Great to be here. We're excited to have you and and learn about all the amazing things that you have done and and are currently doing and maybe what you might be doing. As we get going, it's great to know just a little bit, Justin, about your your background, uh, generally or specifically, how did you get to where you're at to today?
1: Yeah, certainly. So I am, uh, let's see, a School of the Art Institute of Chicago uh, graduate in a time when you would, uh, you know, tell your mom or your dad that you were a web designer and they would kind of scratch their head and say, a what? So uh, formal design training way back when uh, the grunge era of music is when I came into the design space. And at that point, you know, I had the formal design training, print and typography What was fascinating at that point was the digital landscape. The internet was a a new and exciting thing. Uh, Print was a known quantity. Um, The application of design to what I like to call the digital landscape was an unknown quantity. Um, What were the rules? How could we break them? That absolutely fascinated me, that duality of problem solving. Um, And that has really informed the trajectory of my career. I've um, worked in many an agency, many a design agency. I've worked in-house, out-of-house, tech, studio. And um, I've just let fulfillment kind of drive my way. What connects me to my work the most and what will connect my work to the people who engage with it the most? And as I've you know gotten a little more senior in my career, I found, um, as, as many people do, I was more rewarded by helping others achieve their goals in design than I was with my hands-on work, a bit of a transition there. Um, and that's where I've ended up today. I've been in design leadership for maybe, oh my... I don't know, 15 years uh, at this point, managing teams, building shared service organizations uh, within varied size companies. Um, and that very much fulfills me uh, right now as well. So that's kind of my North star
0: along the way. Very cool, great to hear. And uh, needless to say, I'm sure you've seen so many changes in the industry from from the early days of what is web and, and digital to today, it's just everyone's, you know, as I say, digitalization's eating the world. Justin, looking back at your career, Uh, whether that's academic or some early years or recently, is there any key moments that stand out as maybe let's say a defining moment that really helped to redefine or redirect your career?
1: I would say understanding that I don't know everything. I would, uh, I I give a talk about humility and design. And that to me was the biggest eye opener and has helped me, you know, as many notches as I have my belt or as many uh, years of, um, experience I have, always be a student of my craft. That has really helped me along the way, not only uh, learn, uh, but evolve. And, you know, by being a student and accepting I don't know everything and, and being receptive uh, to feedback and growth. Um, and thankfully, that that uh, eureka moment happened early on in my career, that notion of humility being um, a driver. So, uh, you know, that was maybe in my mid-20s, early to mid-20s. And I've just like I like I said, let that inform uh my career and evolution along the way. I, I've taken on development, uh, you know, to understand what is driving the design uh that I'm producing. I, I've gone from being rewarded from my hands, like I said, to being rewarded by the evolution and growth of others. So, you know, thank thankfully I had that realization early in my career, not my not my 40s, because I'd probably give a very different answer at that point. <laughs>
0: That's great to hear. Uh, very uh, humbling and respectful. Uh, as the saying goes, leaders never stop learning. I think in our industry with the the, the evolution and, and dynamic landscape of design, we have to be open to learn. And I don't know who said it, but I always uh, love this saying that if you're the smartest person in the room, you're probably in the wrong room because <laughs> there's not much left to learn. So thanks for sharing that. And I think that's a key insight for, for all of us to keep in mind. Thinking back on your career as well, uh, from early days to any time recently, I'm sure there were several hurdles or roadblocks or challenges, but are there any ones that kind of stand out to uh, help, you know, define your career or a key learning as well, let's say the challenges that make us uh, wiser and sharper?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I would say... um... A second eureka moment, not to abuse that phrase, was when I learned how psychologically shackled I was to the um, American way of working in the agency sector. And that is to say, unhealthy culture, that is to say, being defined by my output, that is to say, at the business level, uh, more or less being air quotes valued as a name on a spreadsheet, rather than uh, as as a unique human being with a... Differing, uh you know, views and outs insights that I could bring to the table, and I thought that's just how it was. I thought, you know, if I had to leave early for a doctor's appointment and someone tapping their watch and saying you have a half day today, and you know, those kind of passive aggressive jabs, I thought that's just how people work. And I had enough of that, more or less. I had a breaking point, and I remember saying to my wife, uh, "I can't do it. I have nothing lined up. I cannot go back to work again like that on Monday." And she supported me fully, and I just quit. And it was the best decision I ever made because I took about three months and I just f- tried to figure out what fulfills me. And I came across this um, job posting. I didn't know anyone at the business, but it was for a Swedish design agency called Nansen. And they were just coming home from Stockholm. They were establishing a foothold in the U.S. market in Chicago. And the job posting was unlike anything I had ever seen before. It was humbly written. It was all to um, uh, it was the articulation of the culture was through Swedish values and egalitarianism. And I'd never seen anything like it. And um, I I really thought, you know, like, this is, this is, I knew this was the role I wanted to take a shot at. And I I wrote this email over like two or three hours and I sent it and I realized I didn't attach my resume. I'm like, oh, I blew it. So then I had to follow up and make that whoopsie. And I'm like, all right, so I blew it. Uh, But it turned out I didn't, I didn't blow it. And I got, I got, they reached out to me and we had a dialogue and we had another dialogue, another dialogue. I ended up joining the Swedish agency and building the uh, creative practice for uh, North America. And over the four and a half, five years I was there, I was able to absorb and process and channel those Swedish values into understanding that is not how you have to work. You don't have to be psychologically shackled to your desk. You don't have to um, take those uh, little bits of uh, uh, you know verbal and, and and mental abuse along the way. You can be uh, recognized as a, as a human being with a unique voice. That was incredibly transformative for me. That informed um, me writing my first book, uh, Creative Culture. You know, it's a, and it's a second edition. And it has a little bit of a different title. And you know, it, I, I've been asked before, you're a designer. Why are you writing about culture? Because if the culture is not supportive, we can't do our best work. And if the values of a business are not translated into our work, there's a massive disconnect there. And it informs everything along the way, from how someone is onboarded, to how you hire, to how you produce work. Uh, again, massive eureka moment, a bit of a bloated answer, but um, that has absolutely shaped my last, uh, I would say, 10 years of my career.
0: That's uh, amazing and inspiring to hear. Thanks for sharing. And uh, I know it's a little philosophical, but uh, you know that leap of faith, I applaud that, kind of not knowing what's next, but not knowing that uh, or knowing that was not the right thing for you. And you know, I believe everything does work out for a reason and you got into the right fits that kind of redirected your career. And just to build on that, I think, the saying that culture, each strategy for breakfast, I mean, uh, what is design, what is not designed, but designing cultures are important, especially companies that want to be more creative, more innovative. And a lot of the practices you talk about, empathy, human-centered uh, approaches to culture is is, is paramount. Amazing backgrounds uh, to learn a little bit more about your story. Maybe to turn the page, Justin, uh, I know you've got a lot of uh, prior experiences and roles And you're recently in a a, a new role yourself, but if we look back to your most recent former role, I was wondering if you can share a little bit more about that role. uh, What was the role about, and and how you're using design to help drive business success? Certainly. So, you know, I
1: came to a point again of realization and fulfillment where I was working with cool clients and doing cool sites, but um, you know, producing—I don't know—pet food websites or uh, uh, athletic shoe websites. They look great. Um, we went through a, you know, a very classic human-centered uh, design process and engaged people and uh, they were accessible and, and beautifully created, but uh, it wasn't doing it for me here and uh, it wasn't doing it for the heart. And I wanted to, again, let fulfillment drive me. So I knew an opportunity arose where I could apply design through a people-first lens to the world, to the land of uh, health healthcare. Copious problems with healthcare, this was specifically around enrollment and benefits administration. This is folks, you know, uh, at the point of potential duress when their, their benefits have lapsed, or if they are a a primary caregiver and somebody they're advocating for has lost their benefits or advocate, you know, trying to enroll at the last second and uh, stressful, um, copiously complex workflows. That was very appealing to me. That was applying design to a space that I knew needed it more than where I was existing. So I joined Company called B Swift, which is acquired by Aetna, which was acquired by CV itself. So we are ultimately a part of a Fortune five business as a VP of Design. Uh, VP. I came on as a VP of User Experience, and I wanted to transform a user experience team into human centered design practice. And you know, when I joined, um, the team would be you know they would get uh, wireframes and PowerPoint from product and say, make it look pretty, which is a, you know, a dagger in the heart of any designer, but they were execution-based rather than strategic-based. So the hands were there. They they had enough uh, team members, but uh, they weren't leveraging their minds. They weren't leveraging their strategic uh, insights. So I I effectively had to go on what I like to call the the human-centered design roadshow to the C-suite and say, I want to shift the way work comes in. I want to slow down. I want to pause with intent. I want to eliminate our own bias and build a team that is representative of the world that we are uh, creating for. I want to bring folks to the table and bring them into the design process with co-design and participatory design and get the people that we're creating for involved in the design process, which is inclusive of, like I said, expanding timelines, hiring new roles. So you know there was a lot of pre-work to be done there before I could even execute on any of these plans. Education was one. Uh, demonstrating the value of what I was articulating, not just because it feels good but because it, it, it um, you know helps uh, trim down QA time. It helps our iterative process. It helps our process our products become more accessible, uh, you know barrier free design, getting more people engaged with what we're creating. Once I was able to do that, um, they were outsourcing uh, usability testing to uh, etna. I, I um, effectively cut that off and I brought all usability testing in-house and I built up a research practice. And I built up all the usability testing uh, internally so we could be more nimble and do guerrilla testing and manage the process from soup to nuts um, and report back on metrics to clients, which was another value add to the services. So slowly demonstrating value, slowly building it up. Um, so I built that uh, shared service within CVS Health over the course of uh, five years. Um, and, there was, you know, there was a lot of good success there. I'm pretty proud of how that turned out.
0: Uh, fantastic to learn about that journey. And unfortunately, you know what you mentioned in the beginning is just all too common, uh, I think for all of our clients. and and that's the opportunity is you know to mature design, to advance design, whatever that means, and move it, you know from the downstream the decoration station to the strategic partner that we know uh, delivers the most value to the organization. And uh, I applaud you for you know all the efforts that you mentioned, you know, um, approving the metrics and and creating education and awareness for your stakeholders. I'm sure that there's there was uh, many more challenges that you encountered and just curious to know if you might be able to share some, some challenges you had within that organization or perhaps maybe within the industry. Um, I may be off base, but what we see is, you know, healthcare is kind of the laggards that weren't, you know, so uh, aware of design's value and now, you know, trying to catch up and, and use that. So was there any of that kind of uh, wait and see or was there, you know, other challenges within the organization to prevent you to advance design quicker, so forth?
1: It was, you know, not a lot of change, most change does not happen overnight. So like I said, a lot of it was demonstrating, you know, incremental change rather than just trying to go for the, go for the brass ring, so to speak, straight away. So slowing down delivery to offer more rounds of usability testing or participatory design or, or you know, actually go out where folks are uh, potentially engaging or with enrollment, and observe and see how they are trying to enroll in our products. Is it, you know, is it waitstaff using an iPad uh, in between waiting tables and they have to kind of huddle in the corner and we have a client who was in that sector? Or is it manufacturing where there's a slow single terminal on a factory floor with a slow processor and a poor bandwidth and copious cognitive dissonance around them and observing how are they engaging with the product uh, and, and trying to enroll we did all kinds of field observation and testing uh, based on that. And we were able to um, evolve and expand and improve the usability and intuitiveness of our product through that observation. So, you know, by incrementally moving the ball and showing the value of these, of these steps and how there's greater access, now our clients were more, we, we were b 2 b to c So the, the, the folks signing the check are our clients and also the folks engaging with our products are also the clients, you know, getting double layers of happiness more or less that uh helps move the the needle a bit more rather than just i want to do this because i'm a human-centered design guy it's it's more because look at the value that i'm demonstrating to what we're producing
0: very interesting thanks for sharing that as well and you mentioned kind of the, the double dipping or, or double uh, what did you call it double satisfaction but of course the complexity because you have a double set of stakeholders and right. we always see you know the discussion around who are we designing for is it the customer or the consumer the user maybe the shopper all those complexities which change the dialogue and, and so forth so you certainly have been, you know, doing the right things and helping to convince the business to, you know, invest, mature, grow, design, what have you to, at the end of the day, deliver more value, uh, bottom line or triple bottom line, etc. Uh, but I want to open up a little bit, Justin, because you've been doing a lot of uh, amazing things that are not only helping the organizations you are, you know, working with, uh, employed by, but helping the community at large and, to borrow or steal one of the sayings I learned from the National Speakers Association is that a rising tide lifts all boats, right? And I think you're helping to rise the tide of awareness and, and education and, and, and so forth in the design community. Uh, you mentioned your second edition of the book, which I got here in my hand, The Creativity Culture. So can you let us know a little bit, You know, what are the other things you're doing, uh, writing, speaking, workshopping, all that great stuff that's really helping the community at large?
1: Yeah, you know, it's 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 with anything else that you're passionate about. There's the nine to five job. Then I'm a dad for a few hours, and then I then there's the personal uh, work, right? The, when this all comes back to fulfillment, particularly to the latter end of things, I don't see it as work. I see it as my my personal growth and channeling my energy into something that genuinely fulfills me. So I do a lot of public speaking. I, I, I was at uh, Leading Design uh, in New York, I guess two weeks ago or two and a half weeks ago, at this point. An in-person conference. Um, That was the second in-person event I've spoken at in the last two years. Obviously, (laughs) given the pandemic, I gave the opening keynote at UXPA International last October. That was also obviously in the midst of the pandemic. So it's you know those speaking engagements are are unique because you know when you're speaking to an audience, uh, folks are masked up as we as we should be, and you can't you can't gauge uh, visual feedback. Um, You can kind (laughs) of are people smiling with their eyes more or less, but it is so phenomenal. To be able to engage with folks, and you know, I've done some book signings at the events, and after the fact, when you can have more intimate one-on-one dialogues, and uh, you know, people are energized from that connection. I'm energized from that connection. I miss that connection. I've done a lot of uh, remote public speaking over the past couple of years um, as well, and it, it's different. You know, it's different. It, it's great to maintain connection. Like I said, I don't, I don't air quotes do this to advance my personal brand. Like I said, I'm I'm rewarded by folks evolving and I'm uh, helping them find their fulfillment. And, and, you know, what is the best application of creativity and design programmatically research service, what have you, that will fulfill them and help them evolve. So it's like uh, mentoring and coaching, uh, more mentoring at scale, if you will. And I I absolutely appreciate that. I always close those talks with, I want this to be a dialogue over a monologue. I give my personal contact information so folks can reach out. Um, and they do sometimes, which is great because we can continue the dialogue at that point. So I'm not just orating at people; we can actually connect. And then to the the book side of things, you know, we uh, you have the book, and I appreciate that you have the book in hand. Creative culture, working on my second uh, book, which you know I keep using this word. It's about fulfillment. It's called In Fulfillment: The Designer's Journey. I hope to have it wrapped up at the end of this year uh, for release next year. But you know with the uh, kids home all the time and, and, you know, what's happening in the world. Uh, we'll see if I, if that's able, I'm able to pull that one off, but uh, yeah, the, uh, there's always something in motion, always, uh, you know, a speaking engagement or I have, you know, this, this wonderful opportunity to engage with you and your listeners. So yeah, always the wheels are always in motion in that capacity.
0: Again, I appreciate and applaud all the efforts that you're doing on top of all the other jobs you have. And, and I can relate to being a dad is pretty demanding as well. So it doesn't leave a lot of free time, but maybe a labor of love or our passion to uh, That's it. put in the efforts to help the, the community or the world at large. Justin, without giving too much away, again, you know, obviously the the title of the book's around creative culture. We talked about, you know, the culture and and how that is important. Is there maybe a a little teaser or one key thing that you can give the listeners based on your book or just your overall methodology of of how to maybe move the needle or whatever that means uh, in an organization? Yes,
1: certainly. There are two, and I'll I'll make them both brief. One is a common set of values between the way we create and the way a a culture functions. And that is why I put that second edition out and shifted the title even a bit more The first uh, edition was called uh, Cultivating a Creative Culture. The second edition is called Creative Culture, Human-Centered Interaction, Design, Inspiration. And I I purposely put design in the middle there because it's not a human-centered design book. It's about human-centered interaction, uh, largely. And if we're people first in practice, we have to be people first in process. We have to have those, if if empathy and pausing with intent and connection and respect and humility are our values culturally, we have to create in that same lens. If there's a disconnect, I feel there's a disconnect in work and a disconnect the way we treat one another. So uh, that for sure is a core driver. And the second one is, and I've seen businesses adopt this, which is uh, phenomenal in other podcasts I've been on, and uh, it is about how we onboard. How we, even that word can be a swear word uh, in tech and, and business largely, how we welcome people into the fold, how we welcome people into the business. And uh, there was a recent, uh, I want to say, Gallup survey where 12, it was articulated that 12% of the workforce feels like their business has done a good job onboarding. 12%, and you know, a lot of that can be attributed to uh, remote work. Obviously, there's there are more challenges there. There's hybrid. Some folks are back in the office full time, but uh, you know, I'll use CVS Health as an example. Fortune 5 business, massive company. And then you have this, uh, you know, this lots of khaki pants. Then you have this design uh, dude there in at the at at the VP level with tattoos, who wants to welcome people instead of on a Monday. I want to welcome them on a Friday. I don't, uh, you know, it's normal business for someone to come in on a Monday. You give them the HR manual. Maybe they're in training. Maybe they're learning the systems. That's all fine. You know, there's a natural momentum of five days. I like to welcome people on a Friday. I call it the new day one, and I want to make sure that. The energy from signing on the dotted line is directly carried into someone stepping through the door literally or metaphorically on the first day. I want the values of the business and my personal and team values to be uh, demonstrated tangibly in actions over, over lip service. So when someone joins that first day, my butt's out of my seat. I'm at the door on that Friday. I, you know, Again, if it's online, uh, there's a video session at 9 a.m. We've all been that person walking in the office of uh, the business for the first time and there are people talking. No one's no one's there to greet you, and you just feel you feel small and you feel disconnected. We talk about empathy all the time. I've been there. I want to I want to dissipate that for other folks. So I'm there to greet them, taking them to their desk. Their laptop is already set up. Maybe there's a card there signed by the team, welcoming them aboard. Maybe there's some flowers uh, there. Everything's worked. I'm not saying you know. Can we find a laptop for this uh, this person? or are blowing on a, an old keyboard and saying, yeah, maybe this will work. Everything is there. The care is given to every step along the way. And uh around lunch, you know, if we're in person, we'll go out to lunch. If we're online, we'll do we'll do a a video lunch. And then at that point, I will uh ask them to show me or take me to someplace in the city that inspires them. Again, this has nothing to do with business. We're not dropping jumping into client work. I want to connect with this person and I want to know what has fueled them and who they are and why they do what they do, agnostic of their portfolio. And I think those spatial considerations I've had people. Take me to Soldier Field and tell me a story about that. I've had people take me along the lakefront and tell me about what it inspires them at that. And they've been at a career point where they were in, you know, some field and they went there to clear their head and they decided to take a leap of faith and go to into a design boot camp and shift their entire career. And then you learn about them that uh, why why did you do that? It's because I love to connect with people and you can see where the driver is there. And then they got into research from design. And anyway, just connection with folks, respect, humility. Again, to say uh, I reported to the CTO at uh, at CBS Health and, you know, why do do I want to bring people on Friday? Look, because I am able to reduce attrition. I'm able to to increase organic marketing because people are talking to their friends and people cite this new day one when they want to join the business or they take the social media. If you are able to assign metrics to anything you want to do that is inclusive of change, That helps influence change beyond just it feels good. I want to welcome people on Friday because, you know, it reduces attrition. It increases engagement. It helps people feel energized when they come in on that Monday and we start talking shop again. That'll help move the needle in terms of change. So I've heard, you know, businesses adopt that new day one and start doing it on a Friday. And that's great. If that's the one nugget they take away from the book, then I, I feel like I've done my job. So um, I'll just put that out there. Uh, the onboarding uh, in a remote world is even more challenging than it was before. It's very easy to not engage with someone when they're behind a screen and you can't see them. Um, but it, we have to go the extra, you know, we have to go the extra mile and make sure people still feel connected and uh, as, as fulfilled as humanly possible.
0: That's awesome to hear and learn, and uh, thank you for sharing some of those those tips and tricks. And I wholeheartedly, uh, of course, support uh, both of those uh, those advices and endeavors. And uh, I do hope that more people adopt this uh, this this day one uh, on a Friday. And and I appreciate that you kind of look at more the the human side of things. Uh, as I said, human centered, obviously looking at them as people. And we do a lot of uh, agency uh, rosters for our clients and not suppliers, but but partners. And the one thing is about culture and we have to fly halfway around the world to break bread and, you know, have a a whatever to see the presentation. Yes, we can do it online, but that's the defining moment to realize, are we going to have a good long-term prosperous partnership or simply the culture fit is not there? And that's okay as well. Good to know sooner than later, as you said, the onboarding, the attrition, all that stuff. So great advice. And thanks for sharing that. Justin, I want to zoom out a little bit. Uh, as you mentioned in the beginning, you, you've been around for a while, um, quite the early days of web and digital, and it's it's evolved quite a bit. And it's just amazing the, the progress and, and uh, evolution there. What do you see uh, from your perspective, your experience, your outlook, et cetera, as the biggest opportunities for their future role of design in the coming years, or let's say the next decade? Where is design going?
1: There's a fondness, to leverage the point you just articulated, there is a fondness for that late 90s, early 2000s caliber design, the exploration, the personality, the pushing the limits, the creativity. um, Sites just flat out looked different back then. Why? Because accessibility wasn't really a thing. Uh, Bandwidth considerations, we were kind of ignorant of that. Mobile first, mobile what? Like people, I mean, it was like mobile last at that point. So tabular-based design you know, grunge style exploration, design portals. It was just a different time, a lot of a lot of cool stuff then. And now as we've gotten, you know, to the 2020s and moving on, there are a million other considerations. Progressive design, or not serving up high bandwidth um, videos if someone's on a slow connection and accessibility and refactoring and design systems and fluidity and mobile first. And I feel like uh, those challenges have really reduced folks willing to take a leap a bit more and pushing the creativity. I'm, I'm talking personal sites. I'm talking on business sites. I mean, you think of business site 101, hero image, uh, call to action, uh, three up down below with subpoints, maybe a banner uh, and, and, and a thick footer at the bottom. Uh, sites look very similar nowadays, and people are kind of afraid and businesses are afraid to, to push those limits unless you're you know an agency and that's a part of your brand, uh, more or less, so, I think there's an opportunity to reinfuse dynamism, boundary defining, or redefining, or box breaking, grid breaking uh, design that kind of brings that personality and exploration back to the web. If, if it's a personal site, if it's a portfolio, or heck, if it's a, a business site, I think there's a lot of opportunity there for folks to uh, kind of break. Break away from we know it works. We're afraid to innovate, and and you know we know uh, where call to actions should lie, and where we're eyes are tracking on a page. And you know that 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 science is is great, but the the science is also kind of hindering, or, or people are afraid to pair design with that science to to push things a bit further. So I, I'd love to see design evolve a bit further in that sense.
0: Great to hear. A little intimidating as well is, is there's so many things to consider and, and take on and, and, and you know leverage and um, overcome all that good stuff maybe building on that um, you know what we see is design growing up maturing taking on more responsibilities more business uh, accountability etc uh, but one of the things that I'm passionate about in our organization is uh, what we call design for humanity. Um, Call it the triple bottom line, um, circular, social, all those things that are, you know, kind of these wicked problems. And needless to say, now with the world we're at with the pandemic and the wars and the floods and the fires, it's just crazy. Um, Not that design is, you know, the panacea and and can, you know, cure all but we believe design can do a lot to help, you know, move the needle there positively. So what is your um, perspective and maybe more on the digital side about, you know, design helping on the triple bottom line. Where does design come when it helps to, you know, solve things or mitigate things around sustainability, environmental issues or social issues, and maybe from a digital lens? What's your kind of outtake on that?
1: I mean, there's a lot of, you know, I think uh, to go back to the term human-centered design, that takes a lot of heat, um, I think, because, well, first of all, everyone has their own articulation of what that means. I think everyone uses that differently or leverages it differently. And it takes some heat because, you know, the the, the, uh, the take can be that that's too narrow because we're not thinking about the environment. We're not thinking about sustainability, but we absolutely can marry those concepts and not be ignorant of them as we create along the way. You know, when I when I apply that lens to healthcare and CVS Health and Aetna and B-Swift, um, boy, they need human-centered design thinking massively because that is genuinely all about people. But as we get to the agency space, and as we get, you know, heck, NFT and 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 Bitcoin and the mining and 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 the you know the electronic waste the, that happens there, I mean, that's that's a major issue, man. I mean, for you know the sake of selling a JPEG, I mean, there's so, there's so much cycles uh, burned there and the electronic waste, and and oh my gosh, that, that we could do a podcast on that alone, so. I think slowing down, being mindful of our impact on, um, to the environment, to the communities that we serve and exist within, You know, even though we're, like I said, applying human-centered design through um, uh, the healthcare world and CVS Health, I, I absolutely made sure my team got out there and, and made sure what we're producing is, is respectful of the community and re- as respectful of the bigger picture as humanly possible. And that, that is why we slow down to not just hit a v dot1 and a v dot2 release because we want to be mindful of all those things we don't want to just rush to market to, for the sake of rushing to market and some businesses are more willing to play ball on that than others um, and i think it's up to those who work in these uh, positions senior or or on down to uh, have a have a um you know, have, have, turn the lens on yourself and say, does this align to my my value system to do their ethics align to my own set of ethics? Um, and, you know, people are able to make various forms of change in that point. I mentioned just quitting cold because the culture wasn't serving me. If I worked at a place right now whose products didn't align to my ethics, I'd probably also quit cold. But um, that's a position of privilege. Not everyone can do that. And I recognize that. So, you know, being mindful where we exist, being mindful where we do our work, being mindful where we can do our best work um, is not only to improve our portfolio or improve our LinkedIn title. It's also uh, much bigger than us. And I talk about fulfill- fulfillment being much bigger than us uh, in my book because fulfillment is a privileged notion. But when I, I, I put it through the lens of if we are not fulfilled and we are not connected to our work, the disconnection snowballs it is, uh, and then our team is disconnected. The environment we create for them is disconnected. The work that we produce is disconnected. So there are bigger picture things that we just have to absolutely be mindful of.
0: That's great to hear the perspective and advice there. And, and, and uh, I've got a few notes and I keep you know, circling fulfillment as, as you kind of centered around. And, and we can only hope that companies consider fulfillment as well and not fulfilling their, their P&Ls and, and their annual Dividends, but fulfilling the positive things, or not fulfilling landfills and waste and unfair labor, all that stuff. So, um, great to hear your perspective and um, and positioning on that. Uh, Justin, in closing, you've you've given us lots of nuggets and great insights and inspiration. In closing, is there a key takeaway that you could leave for our listeners that uh, want to advance their careers into design leadership and or just deliver more good positive impact, uh, have more fulfillment in their careers? All that good stuff. So, any any key takeaways here?
1: Yes, I think being crystal clear on what your value system is is imperative. I mean, you take a look back at where you've felt most fulfilled along the course uh, of your lifetime, personal and professional. If you've stopped to give directions to someone along the way rather than just pass them by, why did you do that? Because you've probably been that person for asking for directions. What can you take away from that? Empathy means a lot to me, or uh, giving back. Feels good. That oxytocin boost feels good. Why? Because I care about people, things bigger than myself. I want to give back to my, my community. I want to give back. Being crystal clear on what your values are will be your North Star in helping you define where you need to go in your career. I think a lot of folks can feel like the, the, this, the position of advancement along my career is I have to manage people. I have to get up here. I have to get X director, VP of X, SVP of X. That is the career path. But that fulfills you, that's great if it doesn't i mean you know it's best to align to what you know uh, is going to help you sleep well at night and what is going to keep you happily well-fed and help you evolve i mean some folks stay as an ic or as you know a designer for 25 30 years because that's where they fulfill they they don't feel the need to manage people those senior titles and the, and the, and you know the nice parking spot or next next manager it doesn't mean anything to those folks and that is just fine that is just fine so i will say understand what your values are, be crystal clear on them, understand how that fulfills you in your personal life and your work. So you're not living in two separate spheres of existence. And then ultimately understanding how you are best fulfilled in your professional life, uh, specifically, if we're going to zoom in on that, um, given the topic at hand, and, you know, just being realistic about where, where you best align to an organization, how their ethics and values align to you. And, um, you know if it's if it's staying in a single position along the way for you know x amount of years, that's great. if it's getting that sweet manager title and helping others evolve, that's also great. but just being true to yourself is is what's going to get you in the best spot
0: very wise words uh spoken very well and i I can only you know attest to that it is about the fulfillment and the value that you want to get whatever that means titles compensation recognition or or not so Amazing uh, discussion here, lots of great insights, and hopefully some key nuggets for the listeners to take away. And uh, just in closing, if you'd like to know more about Justin, uh, the book or the books uh, that he has or are coming, the podcast engagements, et cetera, uh, feel free to check out the-culturebook.com. Uh, to learn a little bit more and tap into Justin's mind and experience, Uh, more nuggets to come there. So Justin, it was an amazing conversation. We appreciate your time and look forward to hearing, seeing, and perhaps uh, even crossing paths uh, now that we're back in the real world, somewhere at some conference around the world. So best of luck with everything. Keep on keeping on. And um, until next time. Thanks so much. Thank you, Jay. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for this session of the Design Leadership Podcast. I do hope that you gain some valuable insights and inspiration to help further you along in your path in design leadership. If you would like to learn more on how myself and my colleagues have helped to empower design leaders for the past 22 years through consulting, coaching, educating, and uniting design leaders across the globe, please check out our suite of services found online at empowering.design. I wish you the best of success in your design leadership journey and pursuit of design excellence. Be well and stay safe.